When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Even if I feel the fear, I just say to myself, well, you have no choice. You have to like be fearless about this because <laughs> what would a random dude do? Maybe we should get that put on bracelets. What would a random <laughs> dude do? Like an unexceptional fucking dude who went to some liberal arts school and like graduated fine, middle of his climb, whatever, <laughs> but like somehow has just continued to succeed and succeed and succeed because he walks into every room and he's like, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I fucking succeed at this? Caroline, today's guest, Busy Phillips, is an actor screenwriter, author, Instagram celeb, best friend of Michelle Williams, the actress, not the singer, and our very first inductee into the Unladylike Hall of Fame. Oh, is she? She is. She is. <laughs> okay, I don't remember this. Well, I have documentation. So, <laughs> on March 3rd, 2018, on the Unladylike Instagram, I posted a photo of Busy Phillips and Linda Cardellini from Freaks and Geeks with the caption, formally nominating at Busy Phillips into the Unladylike Hall of Fame. All those in favor, say aye. Okay, well, what <laughs> moved you? Uh, I'm going to guess I was re-watching Freaks and Geeks, one of my all-time favorite TV shows. So that was Busy Phillips's first television role. She was 19 at the time. And her character, Kim Kelly, was just this pitch-perfect tough girl you can't help but love. You're just some rich kid who's trying to piss off her parents. You think you can hang with these guys? You think that's going to make you cool? Um, Kim Kelly would totally wear a what-would-a-random-dude-do bracelet. Oh, for sure. But Kim Kelly is just the tip of the busy Phillips iceberg. What fascinates us the most about her is how, at 41, she's totally reinvented her career on her own terms. Yeah, in just the past few years, she wrote a New York Times best-selling memoir, This Will Only Hurt a Little, created her own late-night show, and most recently launched a new podcast called Busy Phillips is Doing Her Best. I decided, like, that the only way to do anything is to just... Be like, yeah, of course I can fucking do it. Why wouldn't I be able to do it? Oh, I've never taken a class in, you know, podcasting. I'll figure it out. <laughs> you know? Oh, I've never written a book. How fucking hard going to be? You know? Turns out it was hard. But, <laughs> like, oh, really? Like, hosting a late night talk show four nights a week is, like, so hard. It's so special that only men with, like, staffs of 20 can do it. And even then, it's so hard. By the way, it wasn't that fucking hard. I'm just here to tell you. I wasn't that tired. 
I still had two kids that I put to bed at night and like mommed and, you know, wasn't that fucking hard. So today we're talking with Busy about what it was like coming up in the outrageously sexist Hollywood of the early 2000s, how she gave up on giving in to the industry, and why trying her best is good enough. We caught up with Busy from her home in L.A., where she lives with her screenwriter husband, Mark, and their two daughters, Cricket and Birdie. It was Birdie's first day of remote school, and California was literally on fire. So we kicked off with a very loaded question. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm okay. I had a, I mean, I had like a minor breakdown this morning at 630 in the morning. I just like, I don't know about you guys, like I've felt over the last six months that it ebbs and flows, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have weeks or days where I feel like, okay, this is okay. The world, this is okay. We can do this. Like positive hope, move forward with intention and hope and things are going to be okay. And I'm a motivated person who knows how to like do shit. And, and then I like hit a wall and my state is currently burning to the ground and it is like feels apocalyptic. I haven't stopped coughing for days um, and it's not COVID because I got tested. And I mean, it's just like a lot, you know, and trying to prepare our kids for Zoom school. And I just, I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot, guys. How are you? It's beyond, are you it's beyond a lot. I feel like we need a new word for a lot in 2020. <laughs> I'm kind of with you on that. Like, it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. Stars. They're just like us. Right? I mean, sort of, to a point. (laughs) Busy has worked in Hollywood for over 20 years. Like we mentioned, she landed her first TV role on Freaks and Geeks at 19, but the show was canceled after one season in 2000. And that initially steered her into primetime dramas like Dawson's Creek. But then she really started to shine as a comedic actor with six seasons on the sitcom Cougar Town and a starring role in the Wayans Brothers movie White Chicks. But in late 2016, Busy experienced a totally unexpected breakout playing herself. She was an early adopter of Instagram stories, and her addictive posts have won her more than 2 million followers, which we'll get into more later. God, from teen actress to Instagram stories icon to author and talk show host, like, this woman is a multi-hyphenate. And just like the name of her new podcast says, Busy Phillips is doing her best. That's like a cornerstone of my personality, is trying. Like, I'm a person who's always tried really hard. And I think that I've always just been incredibly driven to be the best. And I think that, like, previously, like, when I was younger, I just, I was only interested in being the best. And then in the last several years, certainly, and probably maybe the last decade, I don't even know, I think I realized that just doing my best... (laughs) is good enough. I might not be the best at everything, but I can try to do my best. Where do you think that that need to be the best came from? 
Well, I mean, like, I don't know. I write about, I mean, I wrote a whole fucking book about it. I think it, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it had, I, it like obviously has to do with like a deep need and desire t- for attention and to be seen and to have like a moment for myself because to take up space because I felt in my home life that there wasn't a lot of space left for me there. And whether or not that was even, True. Who fucking knows? I'm a mom now. I'm sure my girls are going to talk about shit in therapy. I'm going to be like, what are you talking about? That's not, I don't, that's not true to the experience at all. But that's what I felt. Busy grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona. She was always a little performer, and by middle school, her sights were set on acting. It was just a matter of getting through school and hightailing it to LA, but her ADHD made that a challenge. You just got kind of, like, labeled, like, oh, she's just not a great student. But I was, you know, reading, like, my mom's book club books, and I was clearly smart. I just had a lot of, you know, if I wasn't interested in it, basically, I wasn't going to commit to doing the work and putting the time in. But the things that I was interested in, you know, like, I decided freshman year, I was like, well, maybe I should do speech and debate. They had it at my school. And I won state, like, my first year, freshman year doing it. I was like, I'm only going to do it if I can be number one at it. (laughs) And like as a freshman winning state in speech and debate was, it was a big fucking deal. And then I quit because I was like, well, I did it. Um, (laughs) But as all that was happening at school, Bissy was also going through an intense time in her personal life. As she shares in her memoir, she was sexually assaulted when she was 14. A year later, at 15, her boyfriend got her pregnant and Busy had an abortion. I had experienced my own trauma, my own sexual trauma, and was like dying inside and didn't know how to deal with it. And, you know, was had no outlet and didn't even know how to voice it or what it even was because, like, culturally, like, early 90s vibes, guys, like, you know, like, Monica Lewinsky was, like, publicly shamed and called a slut. Like, mm. you know, she was at fault for whatever happened between her and Bill Clinton. Like, the messages that were just constantly being given to you as a young woman were that, first of all, anything that happens to you or your body is on you. And secondly, that, like there's so much shame about it and about what sexuality means, like what your body, what your vagina, what bleeding, all of it was just like, for me, shrouded in mystery and shame. Well, one thing that really strikes me is how unwavering your acting ambition was amid all of all of this trauma. So why why do you think that you were able to maintain that focus even after going through a really tumultuous time? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the it's the thing that so many successful people do, right? And so many successful people have like big T trauma. <laughs> um I think. I know. I mean, whatever. I fucking know. And it's not just in the entertainment industry, but it's like that trick that you do when you've gone through trauma, which is that like, okay, this doesn't make sense and this sucks. But if I can do X, then it will all like 
make it worthwhile. Mm. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, going through those traumas, like every, like my resolve just got so like deepened that the only way I could make any of this make sense is if then I go and achieve this thing that's like nearly fucking impossible that no one gets to do. And I'm going to do it like, this is the timeline. I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to go to two years of college and then I'm going to be on TV. And I moved to LA and I went to two years of college in the second semester, sophomore year, I got the pilot of Freaks and Geeks. And then I left school and was on TV. And then of course you're like, well, that didn't make me feel better. <laughs> oh, fuck, that didn't work. Oh, I know why it didn't work, because I'm not a movie star. And the, and the show wasn't, like, a hit. Okay, okay. So then I'm, like, get cast on literally the biggest teen drama of, like, the decade, Dawson's Creek at the time. And then I'm, like, and I'm still miserable. Oh, no. Oh, no, now what? <laughs> like, it's a little bit of a, you know... I mean, it's a trick, right? It's a trick. And you have to like, at some point, you come to terms with the fact, or you don't. Some people never do. You see those people that there's no amount of accomplishments or success that will heal you. You have to just put the work in and do it for yourself because no amount of like, positive fan interactions on Instagram will ever (laughs) fix what was like broken in me when I was 14 and 15 and younger. When we come back, Busy spills why Dawson's Creek was so miserable and takes us back to the hellish Hollywood sexism of the low-rise jeans era. Don't go anywhere. We're back with Busy Phillips. Yes, take me back, Paula Cole. <laughs> so, Busy played Katie Holmes's wild child college roommate, Audrey Liddell. And in case y'all can't tell from the excitement in my voice, I was a total Dawson head. Caroline, I, I secretly watched it because it was way too sexy for my parents' liking. And I still remember how polarizing of a character Audrey was. Like, she was everything girls at that time weren't supposed to be. She was loud, loose, and not a size two. Like, when I got Dawson's Creek on, and I was on the WB, like, I remember feeling like, oh, God, this sucks. Like, I don't have that body, this WB body. Um, because I was really body shamed when I was on that show and it was, you know, really brutal, but body um, shamed by people you were actually working with and for, or just like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like the, you know, the head executive comes to you and says like, you need to drop 15. Like it's not, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's not 1943, you know, in the studio system, it's modern day when they know they can't really say that to you so it like 
gets messaged in all these other very bizarre ways. Like I had this experience with a with a costume person who was just sort of all constantly dropping hints about things I could be doing to change oh. my diet or to work work out. I hadn't work, I, I didn't work out at that point. I was 21 years old. I was like drinking gallons of red wine and like um eating bread and you know, living my life. My early 20s, like, gluttonous life. And, uh, yeah, and I remember her saying something like, oh, I was driving to work and I just, I saw Katie out there running around that big circle out on the island. Yeah, she runs, I think she runs, like, two two to five miles at least every day. It's so great. It's like, yeah, because that's fucking normal for a 22-year-old to do. <laughs> Like, I, you know, and maybe it is. I don't know, guys. Maybe it is. It wasn't normal for me. Um, <laughs> Not me. <laughs> what was normal, though, was toxic masculinity behind the scenes. Busy's written about seeing Harvey Weinstein attempt to sweet-talk Kirsten Dunst. And she admits that if the opportunity had come up, she wouldn't have thought twice about taking a meeting in his hotel room. Well, in your memoir, you write... I was a girl who could work within the incredibly sexist system that was set up, a girl who could take it. So speaking about this business, like, tell mm -hmm. us more about that girl and why did she take it at the time? Well, messages were very clear almost from the beginning that, you know, women were expendable in this industry, especially <laughs> I mean, like, in all industries, I guess. And you didn't want to be the person causing issues, you know? Because the women that caused issues got gone real quick. Also, it's like the majority of the people working in the positions of creative power and then also executive power were men. And, you know, it was like through that lens that the world was molded. And so then when you get the part, you're like, well, I'm not going to be the one that calls out the, like, guy on set who, like, has joked about masturbating to me, you know? And everybody laughed. Like, I'm just going to be like, ha yeah, all right, you take it easy then, you know, because that's how <laughs> I'm going to keep my fucking job. For years, standing up for herself and other women felt impossible. Yeah, for example, in her memoir, she specifically calls out James Franco, her Freaks and Geeks co-star. She calls him a fucking bully for the way he acted and treated her on set, including throwing her to the ground in the middle of shooting. It knocked the wind out of her and she felt humiliated. But the fact that he barely got a slap on the wrist for laying hands on her confirmed that the Hollywood Boys Club protects its own. Well... These days, you you seem to be really unafraid to name names of shitty dudes. Who cares? In Hollywood, who <laughs> yeah. gives a fuck? Well, what changed? Like you, you I know, don't you care about working, Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to be. I don't want to have like three lines as like the girlfriend who's kind of sarcastic. You know, like I don't care. So what? And people should, like, behave better. You know, it's that Anne Lamott quote. If people wanted you to write about them in a nicer way, they should have fucking behaved better. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, so I have no patience for it. You know, like, 
I think everyone should name names. I am like, that's the only way shit changes. And you've seen that in practice in the last several years. Oof, getting fired up over here. (laughs) But like, so, but does it ever, does it though? I mean, your husband is also in the biz. Um, I'm really sorry. I just said the biz. I Um, love that you said it. (laughs) It feels very Georgia of me to to phrase it. it that way. But does it... Does it ever feel risky beyond, like, sure for you, you don't give a fuck about, like, getting an acting job, but, like, does it ever feel risky? I don't know. I think it depends on what you're saying and if what you're saying is truthful or not. Yeah. And if what you're saying is truthful, then, and people in the business know it, yeah, I mean, certainly there are going to be some people that are like, eesh, but do I want to work with those people? Do I want to work for those people? Mm. And my husband and his writing partner, who's a woman, and my husband is a feminist, does he want to work for those people? No. Like, why would I want to work for anyone that supports toxic masculinity? And why would my husband want to do that? So I guess no is the answer. I'm not – it doesn't feel risky to me because it's like natural selection, I suppose. And also I'm not a liar. (laughs) (laughs) so there's that (laughs) busy can never not be busy and it's that off-screen authenticity that catapulted her into an unexpected life pivot to instagram stories this was back in november of 2016 busy had been cast in hbo's vice principals and was pumped for that but everything else around her looked bleak She was now a working mother with two small children. Her marriage had hit a rough patch. Trump got elected. Long story short, Bissy was depressed. What was it that drew you to the Instagram story? Because I was what you call a like a mega late adopter. I was like the latest adopter of Instagram stories. I I was an old lady about it. So what clicked for you? Well, I think it was it was a confluence of circumstances, certainly. And like, yeah, it was like the first week it started, basically, that I started doing it. And because it was so early, I didn't, I hadn't seen, I mean, I'd watched some people's stories and I was like, this is weird. I don't, well, I don't know what these people are doing. <laughs> um, and I just saw it as an opportunity to do what I've done every day of my goddamn life, which is my own reality show in my own head, you know? <laughs> and so since I was a child. And so I don't know. I like, I just found it really interesting and I was bored and out of work and depressed, and I just wanted something to do, I guess. Stories became a way for Busy to embrace her performer instincts, soothe her anxiety, and just make something for herself. What she made was hilarious, relatable, and intimate. Her follower count started soaring, and she even got critical acclaim. Yeah, in 2017, The New Yorker raved, quote, she has transformed her daily life as a struggling actor and L.A. mother into an addictive sitcom. Imagine I Love Lucy mixed with a modern lifestyle guru. Did it feel like you were doing your best at Instagram stories? Because, you know, you get this New Yorker profile in 2017, which I still remember bookmarking because I was like, oh, shit. What's yeah, going that was on here? Sh- yeah, that was a huge <laughs> fucking deal. I mean, that was a huge deal. That felt like a holy shit. Like, what is this? 
In the beginning, like, I remember hearing from a few friends, like, what are you doing? What are you doing on that? It seems so weird. I don't, are you sure that that's such a good idea? Like, aren't you going to like kind of ruin your ability to, you know, play roles, play parts now that you're just being yourself? And of course, now everybody's like, how the fuck do I do that and make money out of it? Will you tell me? (laughs) Right. But then like slowly, I had a couple friends who were like directors and writers who, you know, at dinner parties or whatever, that were like, I'm kind of obsessed with your Instagram stories. And like, I was talking to this like studio executive and she was like, she never misses them. And, you know, this person who's the head of the studio is like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is weird. This is really weird. And I couldn't, I sort of, because I sometimes don't trust myself, you know? And I felt like I had been, I always have felt like an outsider no matter what. And so I, so I was always afraid that people were watching it inside the industry as like, ugh, what a, ugh, what a joke, how sad. And I realized that that wasn't the case. <laughs> and then it was like legitimately connecting with people on a real level, but also in a way that was new at the time that people hadn't like kind of explored as much. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Busy makes a triumphant return to television, this time on Late Night. Don't go anywhere. We're back with Busy Phillips. Thanks to the wild success of her Instagram stories, folks in the industry started taking note. Folks like Tina Fey and her producing partner, Eric Ryan. Eric met with Busy to talk about how they could use her Instagram success to launch a new project. He was like, we have to think of what to do. You need to do something. Let's like build something around you. Let's do a show, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And I called him a couple months later and was like, I want to do a late night talk show. And he's like, well, we've never done that, but I'll I'll mention it to Tina. And then like two weeks later, she was on the phone with the head of E. He said that. She said what she said. And then they were like, great, done, <laughs> essentially. But there were still details to sort out. Execs wanted to give the show just one night a week, but Busy really wanted to do it four nights a week, just like the boys in late night. Part of it, reverted back to my like want to be the best thing I just was like what the fuck guys there needs to be at least one woman who gets a late night daily talk show that was just the impetus behind it was truly just like from a an equality standpoint because like any woman who does get any late night show at this point, they're like, and one <laughs> night a week, girl, you're going to kill it. Like, and they're just like, what the fuck? Like, why do all these men get to be on the air four nights a week giving their topical takes on the day's event and like, you know, their heartfelt speeches when something in the news like personally affects them. And then like a lady gets one night a week. You know, what the fuck is that? So I just was so 
It's that or nothing. Ultimately, the execs got on board, and they gave Busy exactly what she wanted. They really were like, look, we know it's a marathon, not a sprint. We're in it for the long haul. We want to, we need to look forward to building what the new E is. Like, we know the Kardashians are going to be coming to an end at some point. Like, we want E to be a thing again. We look at what Bravo's been able to do and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, okay, this all makes sense, right? Like, this all tracks. Sure. This feels like the place. And so we, like, just dove, dove in. Busy Tonight debuted on E! in October of 2018 with Tina Fey executive producing. The entire production and writing staff were women. My new late night show is the perfect excuse to stay in. If anyone asks, just say you're busy tonight. Because we might be busy tonight. Making spicy margaritas or painting your bathroom. The show's vibe was very busy. The set looked like an apartment, complete with a cozy couch. Busy would curl up on it in her long, cozy dresses and greet her guests with cocktails. It kind of felt like you were watching her hang out with her best friends, who just so happened to be Hollywood celebs. But just a few months later, E pulled the plug. Busy's last show aired in May 2019. Okay, I'm just going to be totally honest. If I had been fucking smart, I would have, like, done a daytime talk show somewhere. You know, like a syndicated daytime talk show. And I could have probably, like, I could probably still be doing it. And it probably, because that's the space that, like, these networks and studios and, like, our fucking patriarchal society feels comfortable putting women. So that, like, when you're home ironing, I guess, you have something to watch. And, you know, and late night is, like, weirdly just fucking reserved for these men, I guess. And to be totally frank, (laughs) is that the men are just given a longer fucking runway. Mm -hmm. They just are. They are given the marathon. Conan failed for years. Seth's show was a mess in the beginning. I don't even know. Jimmy Kimmel had girls on trampolines or something. I don't even (laughs) fucking know. Like, you know, like, men are given shot after shot after shot to fail. And the, and still and yet and still they can they are allowed to continue on and women are like and by the way my show was not fucking canceled because it wasn't successful like the failure of my show I do not own like it is on them I truly believe that and I don't hold like I don't give a fuck at this point but like we got that shit up and running and in a place that was, like, real good at the end. That was, like, less than six months we were able to do that. We were able to find what the show was and how it worked and how it connected and where it lived and provide the thing for our celebrity guests that I always wanted to do, which was, like, give them a nice place to come and sell the shit they have to sell. And talk about things that were happening in the news that impacted me as a woman and make an impact in that way. And, like, it being canceled was truly shocking when it happened. But there was so much bullshit that, like, no one had ever let us in on because we're women. 
and like business stuff. Like they had like, you know, some huge hole in their budget because they, you know, spent $7 billion on the Kardashians or whatever. It also just wasn't the right place. Like, you know, I was constantly being noted about like touching my hair and I, I don't fucking know. Like everything was sort of ingrained with a level of hatred for women over there. Busy got a big offer to move the show to a new platform, which she definitely considered until she caught whiff of some bullshit. I was getting these emails about this deal that the streaming service app, whatever the fuck, new me- whatever it is, wanted the offer that they had on the table and what blah, 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 blah. And I was sitting there and I was reading it. Mark was next to me. The girls were together. And Mark was like, I'm reading it. I'm like, no, no. No, this is all wrong. I'm not doing this again. I'm not fucking doing this again. I'm not working for a bunch of dudes who are going to define what success is to me and aren't going to tell me like 90% of the information that would help me make better choices in terms of how we spend our budgets and what we do and where we're going and the future. Like this is just more of the same. Busy immediately called her creative partner, Casey St. Ange. And I was like, I have, a, I have a crazy thing to say to you, and I know that you want to work and, like, make money, but we shouldn't do this. Like, this is bad. We need to do our own thing. We need to figure this the fuck out ourselves because it's over. I'm not working for anyone anymore in this way. And she was like, I really trust your gut. You kind of, when you're... When you feel this certain about something, you haven't been wrong yet. Okay. So they canceled their meetings and got to work. They decided they wanted to make TV shows, but this time on their own terms. They also sold a podcast that was going to be a behind-the-scenes look of them building their media empire. Then COVID happened, which derailed any TV plans. But always game for a pivot, Busy decided to move forward with the podcast anyway. She and Casey shifted the focus to a familiar topic, starting over. I think there's some value in talking to people about this, not just this time, but, you know, pivots in your life and even devastating ones, things that feel devastating, like losing a job or a death even, how you can pivot from those things into a different place. It's not always, by the way, it's not always better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to be totally honest. But it's worthwhile to hear the stories and to engage because I think it makes us all feel just like a little bit less alone, you know? And I know that like the feedback that we've had from the podcast so far is that people are really responding to that element of it, of just feeling like that we're all kind of like going through it, you know, together. Even though you might be having a very different experience than me, your closet looks very different than mine. (sighs) considering all of these events, both, you know, personal and professional, and as you were talking about, just, like, the world at large and everything, Mm -hmm. everything happening on so many levels, has that changed how you are thinking of doing your best and what that means for you? Well, I'm still working on it, if I'm just going to be honest. I'm still really, really hard on myself. And I don't think that that's a unique trait for 
especially a woman, to have. But I think I would like to have more ease in in a lot of ways and and put less pressure on myself. There are certainly, you know, I think that that's, that is a thing. Like men often are so content at being just fine at anything. And I'm not saying I want to be just fine. Like I always want to be kind of exceptional <laughs> and everything. <laughs> but um, I would like to like be able to give myself more of a break, you know. But that's between me and my therapist. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> You're talking to two fellow uh, therapized women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can find Busy on Instagram at Busy Phillips or listen to her podcast, Busy Phillips is Doing Her Best, wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, Busy has just joined the cast of Girls 5 Eva, an original series for Peacock, so keep your eyes peeled for that show. And y'all can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unladylike Media. And if you want to support Kristen and me directly, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get weekly bonus episodes, listener advice, and so much more fun at patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. Nora Ritchie is the senior producer of Unladylike. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Shruti Marate transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing is by Andy Christens. Sound design and additional music is by Casey Holford and Andy Christens. Executive producers are Peter Clowney, Daisy Rosario, and Unladylike Media. This podcast was created by your hosts, Caroline Irvin and Kristen Conger of Unladylike Media. Next week, we're talking to Rachel Lindsay, the first Black Bachelorette, about representation in the Bachelor franchise, why she almost broke up with Bachelor Nation, and why it's taken so long for there to be a Black Bachelor. I don't think the audience is going to be comfortable seeing a black man going to a white woman's home. Period. That's exactly why I think it is. Uh, it's totally different. It's a totally different dynamic for a black man to walk into a white home and say, hey, I, I'm interested in marrying your daughter. It's not something that the audience is ready for. And the franchise knows that. And that's why it's taken so long. And remember, got a problem? Get out there and vote. And by that, we mean for fucking Joe Biden. Yeah, we said it. Just do it. Just fucking do it, okay? Okay? (laughs) Anyway. Oh, my God. Hi. That shirt's all ripped in the back. Okay. Um... (laughs) Mark's quarantine outfit has become a bathing suit and like a vintage shirt. And I don't know what's (laughs) happening. It's like, it's insane. I kind of like it, but it's also like, who is this person? (laughs) Stitcher.